This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. So with us today, we have Amy McFarland. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. <laughs> and so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, great tips for newlyweds, no matter what age or stage of the game that you're in. Let me tell you a little bit of a story. I had a friend of mine who had a daughter get married. And um, the husband grew up in kind of a fiscally chaotic household. Mm. They weren't real good about budgeting. They didn't pay a lot of attention to investments, things like that. Um, And the the wife was brought up in a very fiscally conservative, frugal household. So they both thought coming into the marriage that their way was normal. Oh, sure. Right? Because Mm -hmm. that's what they had grown up with. And the other person thought that their spouse's way of handling money really was kind of unworkable and and a little bit crazy. Now, you know, since most marital law arguments are about money, then obviously when you have that kind of disparity, that's a lot to overcome. So in order to avoid arguments and feel confident, what they needed to do was actually establish their own set of rules, their own set of money beliefs, and their own set of uh, values about how they were going to handle things for their new family. So drawing from the experience that they both had, they had to kind of set up their own new parameters for things. Easier said than done? Most definitely. (laughs) (laughs) The more that you can have these discussions before you actually get married, the better. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's never too late to have them. The biggest thing I want to stress is just get it out on the table. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be afraid to have the money talks with people because um, if you're going to be in a union with this person for the rest of your life, this is really important information to understand because it's something that impacts you every single day. Yes. So absolutely have some open money discussions about um, a number of things. And we're going to talk about what some of those things are. All right. So first and foremost, I think that as you're entering into a marriage, you want to figure out how to develop your budget. We have a great budgeting tool that we've developed at Stirk Financial, and you're sure more than welcome to give us a call and we can email that to you. Um, But the budget is going to help you figure out now that you're consolidating lives, what are the bills going to be? What are the um, the things going to be that need to be outgoing expenses? What are the incomes that are going to be coming in? And also, you know, if you're in a second or third marriage, frequently there's some financial baggage that you're carrying from your past. Mm-hmm. And you really need to work that into your budget. You know, whether there's alimony or child support that you're paying, whether there's some credit issues and you need to clean up some old credit card bills. Student loans. Student loans. Mm-hmm. Yep, Definitely. So it's really important to get that all out on the table and develop a budget so you understand what you're working with and everybody's on the same page. The second thing I think that's really important is to figure out how spending money is going to work. You know, there's a number of different systems of how money works, and there's also a number of different ways that marriages work. So there's all kinds of different ways that you can set this one up, but Um, One of the things that I think has been the strongest system that I've seen for people is if both spouses are working, then I recommend that both spouses have their own bank accounts and then that they have one joint bank account that they equally fund. 
Okay. okay. If you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay the bills and who's responsible for what bills, it makes sense to be on what we call the percentage system. Okay. Okay. So if you as the husband earn 50% of the income and you as the wife earn 50% of the income, that's easy. You both can cover half the bills. But let's say that one spouse makes 75% of the income coming in the household and one spouse only makes 25. It's not really very easy to split the bills down mm-hmm. the middle then. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, I recommend that whatever percentage of income you're bringing into the household, then that's the percentage of bills that you're responsible for. You should have your income from your jobs go into your own bank accounts, and then you should put the money to cover the bills for your percentage of them into the joint bank account once a month or twice a month, however it works for you. And then the joint bank account is the one that pays all of the bills. Oh, okay. Okay. The reason I think that's so important is because... Women and men both need to have their own separate financial identity. And if all you ever have is joint accounts, then you have not necessarily established your own financial identity. So true. Yep. So I think that's really important. So that's a great way to think about setting things up. And then that kind of begins to answer the question of spending money. Okay. Right? Because how many times have you fought with oh. your husband about how money gets oh. spent? <laughs> oh, yes. It's, it, 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 it can be tough because sometimes it's just a matter of miscommunication. Absolutely. That you don't think about it. You order something in the day and it gets gone. Mary, I'm curious. Could you talk a little bit about short-term savings? Like, should, like, like you have mentioned this to me in the past that we should be thinking about that. Yep. And very early on in your marriage, you want to make sure you're establishing your emergency fund. Okay. And short-term savings is all about making sure that if something catastrophic happens, you need a chunk of cash for that you've got it there. You've got the cash there to cover those needs instead of having to go into debt for it. Is, so, is there a percentage? Like, do, How do you figure out what is a good amount to set aside for short term? Good question. So prudent financial planning suggests that about three months of your gross household income should be readily accessible. Okay. Now, three months of your gross income might sound like a really big number to some people, but mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, if all of a sudden the engine blows out in your car or all of a sudden you need a new roof or a new furnace or you lose your job, you need to have cash available to be able to continue to live. Mm-hmm. So three months of your gross household income is the target for any smart emergency fund. That being said, if you're a high-earning family, three months of your gross income can be a big number to be sitting in the bank earning virtually nothing right, right now. Right. So I always recommend that at least half of anybody's emergency fund just be in the bank, whether it's savings or checking or something like that. You need to have ready access to cash in the bank. But if, you're, if your emergency fund is going to, in totality, be more than about $15,000, you really need to look at taking about half of that emergency fund and maybe investing it in something that's very conservative, simply with the goal to try to beat the bank in terms of earning power. Okay. That way that money is not sitting stagnant for, you know, for you forever. Um, but if you can get a little bit better earnings in a very conservative investment that's still liquid and accessible, then that's kind of the, the best way to handle an emergency fund. Okay. So um, on the 
Short-term savings then, that's number one. You really want to get that kind of figured out first. And so as part of your budgeting when you're a newlywed, it should be a joint goal to build that emergency fund. So when you're talking about how do we how do we create these um, savings, how do we create this budget for us, who's going to pay the bills, making sure that you're including how to fund and build that emergency fund in those discussions is incredibly important. Okay. Back to the spending money thing, the concept of having your own separate bank accounts and then the joint bank account that handles the bills, that really does address the spending money issue. So there's a lot of times that people get upset when their partners spend money on something that's frivolous. But when you have your own bank account and the bills are taken care of, then if Mm. you just kind of say, well, I'm in charge of my extra money and you're in charge of your extra money, that eliminates a lot of those fights. Sure. Because it's not our extra money so much, it's your extra money, my extra money that you both earned. And so that independent choice in figuring out how to spend money avoids a lot of marital issues. I had, my husband was out of town and uh, a statement came from a credit union. I thought, well, that's odd. I didn't think we had anything there. So probably shouldn't, I will open it. (laughs) And I see he has $100 every month that he takes out and it's just his money. And so, um, I don't remember how it came up. This has been a few years ago, but he he got out of it by saying, "Well, that's what I use to spend on you." Oh, wow. <laughs> sure, <Good> you <laughs> do. <laughs> that's a get out of yeah. jail free yeah. line, isn't it? Right but there? that was his own money that he really also wanted to keep to himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important as well. Yeah, I do. I think that everybody should have some money that they keep for themselves, and. You know, the thing about it is if you look at the demographics of any household, about 80% of all purchases are actually made by women. Okay. But the purchases that men make tend to be bigger ticket items. Oh. So when they spend money, it tends to be a bigger number. Okay. And so, you know, that that's just generally a source of consternation between oh, a lot sure. of couples because it kind of breaks down that way. So um, we do have some great information that we're giving away. If you'd like to give us a call, we have newlywed financial tips and a checklist for people who are about to enter into marriage of the things that you want to make sure you've talked about and taken care of before you tie that knot. So anyway, give us a call. Our number is 605-217-3555 and uh, request that newlywed financial tips and checklist. What I want to start out with talking about in this segment is the long-term savings and kind of a look ahead at retirement. So whether you're you're young or whether you're middle-aged or whether you are already into retirement and getting remarried, you definitely want to have the conversation of how you're going to handle your retirement years and saving for retirement years as part of those marital discussions. Mm-hmm. You really want to understand, you know, what are you doing to save towards retirement now? What are the assets that you've already built up that are going to help us through retirement and and really have some discussions about, you know, somebody's actual feelings about the long term outlook on life. Not everybody thinks about this. And so therefore, not everybody plans for it. But if you can at least begin to have those Mm -hmm. discussions, um, have some agreements on what percentage of your income needs to be saved for retirement, how you're going to go about doing that. If it's going to be through a 401k or if it's going to be through uh, a financial planner or what it is, but it's really important to make sure that when you 
are getting married, that it's not just that short-term emergency fund that you're talking about, but you're having the longer-term discussions. What about the legal documents for young newlyweds, Mary? Great question, Amy. So the legal documents that you really want to get in place for newlyweds, you want to get a will. And a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, I really don't have very many assets. I don't think I need a will. And I'm here to tell you that you do. (laughs) Because if you don't have a will, the state that you live in will decide exactly how everything is going to flow if you pass away. And we all own stuff of some kind. And if you don't want family squabbles or family fights, then by golly, you need to get a will into place. Especially if you're going into a marriage where it's a blended family yes. and you have his, Grown mine, children. and ours kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to really be clear about who's going to get what and how you want them to get it. And, um, you know, all these kind of important longer term things that you're thinking about. Hopefully they don't happen anytime <laughs> soon, but you want to state your preferences. <laughs> The other two things that that newlywed people really need to have on file is the financial power of attorney that says my spouse can take care of my finances if something happens to me mentally. And then a healthcare power of attorney that gives your spouse the ability to help make the medical decisions if something happens to you. Okay. So those are the the long-term documents that really somebody should have. Um. Another discussion that you really want to have, and and this is probably one of the most important things, is what are the rules surrounding debt that you're going to allow in your new household? Hmm. So when I talk about the rules surrounding debt, I mean, what are you allowing to increase your debt and what's your plan to reduce the debt that you already have? Because when you're married to someone, if, if your spouse takes on new debt, you, by and large, can be on the hook for taking care of that if they can't. Oh, sure. So, um, you know, rules of debt might include we're going to have a discussion before anybody buys a car or we're going to have a discussion before we, you know, have a talk about refinancing our house or buying a bigger house. And we all want to improve our situations but rules of debt are so important because sometimes the emotion of wanting oh. something bigger mm-hmm. and better can cloud our judgment of what's really smart financially. So a good rule of debt might be something along the lines of we're only going to have, you know, 30% of our income go to debt payments. And if we can't uh, keep it in that ratio, we're not going to buy something bigger until we pay off the debt that we have. Sure. So debt rules of the house are incredibly important to negotiate and agree upon very early on in the marriage. Oh, that uh, I think is something we had had a conversation about how you tend to want to keep up with someone else and it can Mm -hmm. really destroy your big plan for how your debt is going to go. I want a new car. We don't need a new car. We don't need a house (laughs) or excuse me, a car payment. Yeah, exactly. But my friend drives this and it's so Uh nice. This is how I feel. The emotional decisions (laughs) that sometimes create poor debt management. Yes. And, and since your debt, um, impacts your spouse, then it's important to have these rules. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you want to have some agreements ahead of time on how you're going to make changes. So like just because you've, you've made rules for yourself and this is what's happening, this is what's happening. Life changes. You know, you might have a, a, another child, you might lose a family member, you might lose a job, you might have a big car accident, whatever it is, life changes. And, and, those life changes often require some some changes in how you're managing your finances. And 
Decisions made on the spot in reaction emotionally to a change that's happened in your life tend to be some of the worst financial decisions that we make. Sure. So if you can have some agreements ahead of time about how you're going to go about agreeing to a change in what your family household money rules are, then that's super important. It takes all the angst out of it and it takes the emotion out of it, you know, and so, for instance, we just talked about the debt rules, and we said, well, maybe a good debt rule is only 30% of our income can go towards debt. All right. Well, let's just say that someone gets a bigger, better job, and now there's a lot more income. Well, maybe now you're in a position where you could say 35% of our money can go towards debt. But there has to be a thoughtful conversation about that to make sure that you're on the same page. Nobody unilaterally changes those decisions. And if you make agreements ahead of time and how you're going to go about doing this, then nobody gets upset because you've already both agreed to it. And even though it isn't the most fun conversation, I think it's a conversation that makes you feel really empowered and in control Mm -hmm. um, as you move forward together. Right. I I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, The last thing that I want to talk about is defining your roles. So in a marriage, everybody has a role that they play when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. And it might be something that you've consciously agreed to to or talked about, or it might be something you just kind of fall into and that's the way it's always been or was comfortable to do. But I think it's incredibly important to define the roles in terms of who's in charge of the bill paying, who's in charge of making sure that money's getting into a joint account, you know, um, whose job it is to research and evaluate big ticket purchases, things like that, Um, who's saving for retirement, different things like that. Mm -hmm. So the more you can define your roles, I think the stronger your marriage will be because it's very, very clear who's in charge of doing what things. Yes, and you're a team. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. That being said, (laughs) you're a team and everything we've been talking about today is about um, strengthening your marriage and making sure that you are financially set up to have the strongest marriage possible. That all being said, I want to talk directly to the people who might be in a situation that is dangerous or who might have entered into a marriage that is abusive. One of the best pieces of advice that I can give to you is that you need to have a getaway fund. And I think that this is probably the most significant piece of financial advice that I can give to anyone Probably primarily young women, but sometimes there are men who are in abusive situations. I think it's important to have a getaway fund. And whether that's a couple hundred dollars that you have stashed somewhere that you can buy a bus ticket back to somewhere safe, or whether it's a couple thousand dollars so you can take your children and you can leave a violent situation and be able to set yourself up in the beginning of a new life. But that getaway fund, I think, is a crucial part of financial planning for anyone who's entering into a marriage. And it would, again, empower you to know you have an out if you need it. Yes. And you, it's a goal, too, to set that money aside. Yes. And I think you should have that getaway fund set up before you get married. If you already are married and you don't have it, I think you should find a way to stash that cash to be able to do that. And I realize that might not be a super popular thing for me to be talking about, but the reality is I've been in that situation myself. Okay. I was yes. in that situation in my first marriage and I couldn't leave an abusive situation because I didn't have the money to do that. And so that really fuels my belief that um, 
if safety is an issue, it's really important to develop that getaway fund. And hey, maybe you're in a very happy relationship and you need that getaway fund to go to Omaha for the weekend (laughs) with your girlfriends. (laughs) There you go. Different kind of getaway, but all good fun. So, okay. So let's just kind of recap some of the things that we've talked about. Number one, get it out on the table. Have that open money discussion with your spouse or with your spouse-to-be. Two, develop a budget so that everybody's clear about what's coming in and what's going out. Number three, um, discuss how you're going to handle the spending money. Is it yours? Is it ours? Is it mine? Are we going to fight about it? Or are we going to have autonomy with it? Number four, build that short-term savings up so you have an emergency fund that you can dip into if something happens. Number five, be looking at your long-term savings and have that be part of your budgeting. Number six, figure out what the debt rules are in your household and make those agreements. Number seven, Figure out ahead of time how you're going to make changes to these rules if situations arise that you want to. And number eight, define your roles. Define your roles of how you're going to handle things inside of your new marriage. Give us a call. Our number is 605-217-3555. You can request the newlywed financial tips and the marriage checklist that we've put together. Um, And, you know, that's really designed for people who are getting married. But if you're already married, if you're in the first year or two of your marriage and you want to make sure you've covered all your bases, go ahead and request that checklist because it'll give you some great conversations to have with your spouse. Absolutely. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. Call us at 605-217-3555 for your free copy of the Newlywed Financial Tips and Checklist. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.